0: Hello everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps The Talk of Wrestling. I want to tell you about a new podcast out called Fouls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business, as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees... You name it they have them on there folks and I encourage you to listen to them if you're on YouTube watch them they drop every Saturday they have their podcast they drop it in the afternoon so look forward to that podcast coming out Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner folks you will not be disappointed I guarantee it and enjoy the podcast Wrestling fans, promoters, wrestlers, and anyone who enjoys pro wrestling now have something new to be excited about. The Wrestling Fans International Association, the WFIA, is back. WFIA is an association that exists to promote, grow, and support professional wrestling throughout the world. Membership is free. Your membership includes a free, digital, bi-monthly publication of the Wrestling Fan News newsletter, association updates, Voting privileges and much more. Please go to the WFIA.org, that's thewfi.a.org. That's t h e w f i a dot org and become a member today. In addition to bumps and thumps, talk Taco wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is known as the Unbreakable Bad Boy. He is known throughout the independent circuit and has been in the wrestling business since 2001. It is my pleasure to introduce the Unbreakable Bad Boy, Justin Lee. That's me, Justin
1: Lee. Hey, man, we appreciate you having us on here today. I love Uh, the uh, background, by the way. The uh, Hulk Hogan, especially 80s Hulk Hogan, that is my guy. So
0: yes. Yes, that poster back there. Actually, I got that when I was, like I was showing my age here. I was a sophomore in high school, if that tells you anything, so.
1: There you go, there you go. <laughs> I love it, man. The the vintage stuff is always my favorite stuff. You
0: know, yeah, the, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, the new stuff is fine, it's great, but like that vintage stuff just had a feel to it. And it's, when you look at it, it takes you
0: back, man. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Unbreakable Bad Boy. Let's talk a little bit. Go back a little bit to growing up. You're from Oklahoma, I understand.
1: Yep, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma.
0: Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Not the movie Broken Arrow with John Travolta and Christian Slater. No, no,
1: no, no. Different thing, different thing. <laughs> no, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Your... We're about yeah, pretty close Go to Tulsa. Ahead.
0: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about growing up, some, uh, your schooling, and and how you got involved in the business.
1: Sure, Um, you know there's nothing super extraordinary about my upbringing. Uh, I grew up in kind of a middle class suburb family. Uh, I was in high school during the Monday Night Wars, so you know when wrestling's an all time fever pitch in the '90s. uh, I'm a bit obsessive in personality. You kind of hear that throughout the interview today. So I couldn't just watch wrestling. I became obsessed with wrestling. I wanted to know how it worked. I started buying dirt sheets and magazines. I went up and set a ring up in my backyard or, you know, turned a trampoline into a ring and me and my buddies, would go out there, we try to figure out how they do wrestling moves. You know, this is all from the time I'm about 12 to about 16, 17. Um, yeah, but that, that's kind of just, I, I, I was during that that Monday Night War era, it, it captured my attention. When I was a little kid, it was all about Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was bigger than life to me. You know, we, we couldn't really afford the pay-per-views at the time. So when they were at the Blockbuster, I would go rent them from the Blockbuster a year later, and that was like new to me at the time. So yeah, that's kind of how I grew up learning about the wrestling business.
0: Okay. All right. So did you, uh, sports in high school, did you do any extracurricular activities?
1: Yeah, I mean, so my high school was pretty small. I had a graduating class of about 30, Uh, so we didn't have a football team. Uh, we had a, a wrestling team and I did a little bit of wrestling but we didn't really compete much there wasn't a lot of schools that we could compete with. Uh, so I was just basically going to wrestling practice every day. Uh, I did some weightlifting and then my dad he he's uh he's a 8th degree black belt so you know he was teaching me taekwondo and I I'd, I'd learned from him uh, you know basic karate stuff. But I did sort of always gravitate more towards the theatrical stuff. I was into Theater and and things like that, um, more being a showman than an athlete.
0: Okay, all right. So you're—that's kind of interesting to know. All right. So let's talk a little bit about getting into the wrestling business, Justin. How did you? Who trained you? How'd you get involved? Or what'd you have to do? Sure. Well, like
1: I said, I was running um, backyard wrestling in my backyard yeah. um, throughout the '90s and early early 2000. You got to remember, people kind of forget what, the early 90s and 2000s, we didn't have internet in our pocket. We didn't have a cell phone with us that had internet access ever. Um, mm-hmm. So you still had to wait a week to find out results if the TV show didn't finish live. Uh, you know, so again, this takes you back to a time where there was still a sneak about wrestling at the time. Yeah. Uh, so how I got started, I'm doing this backyard wrestling thing in my backyard. And I told you I get obsessive, right? So I turned my group of friends wrestling my backyard, I made it as professional as possible. We built a ring that looked good, a well-made ring. I made everybody have full-on gimmicks and characters and I'd write run sheets, we'd film the thing, we'd turn them into VHS tapes and we'd sell them through tape traders online. Uh, Got to be a point where we were sort of a big deal. When I would announce one of these things, I would have 40 or 50 people show up to watch it. Um, So much to the point that, There was a local indie promotion called OPW, Oklahoma Pro Wrestling. And when they found out I was drawing 50 people to an outlaw backyard wrestling show, and they knew I wanted to be a wrestler, it just made sense to them hey, let's bring this kid in. If he can sell 50 extra tickets with his people coming to watch him wrestle, we'd be stupid not to bring him in, especially at that point in the business early 2000s we start going kind of on a down cycle in wrestling you got to remember that i mean that's when wcw ecw all go out of business um so you know that trickles down to the indie wrestling scene when those companies are are doing poorly we're doing poorly so when they needed more tickets sell they'll look for any gimmick you know these carnies these promoters they want extra (laughs) tickets sold so hey if we have to bring in the 18 year old backyard wrestling kid to get his little backyard buddies to show up, let's do it. And that's basically how I got my start. Wow. Uh, wow. I was trained by Rocco Valentino and Vinny Valentino, a.k.a. Brent Albright. Uh, Brent Albright was uh, would go on to one day be the NWA world's champion. Uh, he was um, in WWE. Uh, he was in the first ever Triple Crown winner in OVW back when OVW was a uh, lot of big names. Yeah. Batista CM Punk In fact he and CM Punk had some of the best matches that year that so much so that that's one of the reasons Punk finally got the call up to WWE uh WWF at the time because of the quality matches he and Brent Albright were having in OVW so he was one of my trainers and he had a very very shoot style of wrestling to do whereas Rocco was more of the um he learned from the 80s guys and the 90s guys. So it was very much that old school style of wrestling. So I would do the beginner's class with Rocco. And then we would have an advanced class that would go later um, that was run by Brent. And Brent pulled us in there, me and my best friend at the time, uh, Kenny. Uh, we were the two backyard guys they brought in to be the backyard wrestlers uh, trying to invade the big you know, pro wrestling show. <laughs> Uh, but really, we were working harder than anybody else. We were there every night, five, six hours, uh, yeah. just getting our butts kicked until we were drenched in sweat, learning the old-school style, learning the, the Brent Albright style. He had just gotten back from uh, throwing names out here. He was trained by Mike Modest out in California. Um, you know, Mike Modest was – you guys might remember him from that movie On the Mat. Uh, you know, he was the guy that, yeah. that goes and gets the tryout, and Vince is watching him on the monitor backstage. Right. So Mike Modest, UPW, uh, that's where John Cena was at back when he was the prototype. Uh, You know, he was their trainer and he trained Brent and a lot of that stuff. Brent came back and kind of taught us some of that stuff. So I'm sort of from the Mike Modest uh, learning tree, I guess, even though I've never met Mike Modest. (laughs) Yeah, those early days, it was funny because Kenny and I, we were so undersized. We were backyard wrestling kids, just turned 18, just out of high school probably should have been finding the gym much faster, but we weren't big at at all. And uh, it pissed off a lot of the vets that we were on the show because why are you bringing these two little backyard wrestling kids in for, you know, good spots on this show? And some of the guys weren't getting booked each week. And Rocco simply explained it to them. He said, hey, look, every time I put these guys on a show, I sell at least 20 more tickets. What are you selling? You know, I don't care how good you are. If if I'm not selling 20 more tickets – why would I keep yeah. putting you on my show? Yeah. And so it didn't make us very popular backstage. Uh, in <laughs> fact, we weren't even allowed to change in the locker room. We, our bags were thrown into the gorilla position, and we had to literally change in the gorilla position. When they would open the curtain, we would have to hide, each of us hide behind one of the two curtains uh, that were opening up, because <laughs> we were not allowed in the vet's locker room. Wow.
0: That sounds like some heat. But it was good. That's a good boy. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, so you started early two thousands, kind of learned your craft, and then I read on your on your uh, website that you retired in twenty thirteen. You just hung it up. Yeah. Why did you well, yeah.
1: So a lot of stuff happens between 2001 and 2013, but yeah, I, um, yeah. I reached a point where I dedicated 10 years of my life to this thing. Um, well, at this point we'll say nine years technically. And my best friend at the time is this guy named Max McGurk. Uh, little history for you. Max McGurk's mom was Mike McGurk. You might remember Mike McGurk as mm-hmm. the lady ring for WWF in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and her dad is Leroy McGurk. Now, Leroy McGurk was the promoter of mid-Oklahoma Mid, mid Oklahoma wrestling territory throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, Leroy and what would become mid-South wrestling, you know, he gave DBC, all those guys their their start, uh, basically. Yeah. And he was promoting Oklahoma, Louisiana, parts of Texas, Arkansas, you know, that that, that sort of area, Missouri even. Um, so they're His grandson is my best friend. He gets a tryout because, you know, connections with Jim Ross at the time. He goes to WWE, uh, and he's working out with FCW in Florida. Now, he gets me a tryout. He gets – he wises him up, says, hey, this guy's good, you know, give him a shot. WWE comes to Tulsa. I get the call. Hey, we want to look at you. Well, finally, 10 years in the sport, man, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been working hard for. This is everything I've been training for. Mm-hmm. And I thought, look, if it doesn't happen now, it's probably not going to happen, right? You can only go, you know, I'm not, I am I went from an 18-year-old kid. Now I'm in my late 20s, right? Now I'm, mm-hmm. The window's closing. So I get there. I get to the tryout. They tell, you know, it's, it's a very surreal situation. They're coming off a two-night um, thing. So everybody backstage is in a bad mood. Nobody is smiling. Nobody is being nice to us. It is awful. They say, "Here, extra talent goes here." So they take us to this essentially a, a giant closet with eight other guys are in there. Um, some Oklahoma guys, some Texas guys, some Arkansas, guy, you know, just different guys yeah. that have all come, you know come in. And everybody was told to you know wear like a black slacks and a nice shirt just in case we need you on TV for something else. Uh, they make us go fill out some paperwork while I'm in there, filling out paperwork. You know, I see guys like CM Punk and stuff, you know, pop their heads in, you know, asking about their comp tickets, things like that. They barely acknowledge us. You know, they look at us and give us kind of a little head nod and walk off, you know, so it's like, oh, friendly. Uh, Somebody gets wait wait in this locker room again. Just keep waiting. Just wait in your closet. Finally, somebody comes and gets said, all right, you guys go out to the ring. So I brought my ring gear. Well, everybody else is in like workout gear, like shorts and a t-shirt. I'm in my tights because I'm thinking, why did you guys bring workout gear? Well, apparently I wasn't smart enough. Everybody, you know, you don't wear, it's, I guess it's considered bad to wear your your ring ring gear out there. They don't want to see you in that. They want to see you working out. Oh, well. So I wore my ring gear uh, and uh, the guy working us out is uh, Jamie Noble uh you guys remember jamie noble and man is he a miserable piece of crap he hates his <laughs> life doesn't want to be there he doesn't want to be doing what he's doing right now you can tell he would prefer to be on tv wrestling not working out a bunch of indie guys from tulsa you know
0: did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas?
1: Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Super Mod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rochke, Vern Gagne himself, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zbysko, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. Uh, but that's what he's sent there to do. So he's yeah. just kind of really, uh, I don't know what if I can use the language, you're half-assing it.
0: That's <laughs> um, fine, yeah, go
1: ahead. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care. He just said, all right, you guys, get warmed up. I'll be back with you. So we're just You know, some of the guys who are in the tryout have done tryouts before. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to be in here working out, guys. Uh, Vince McMahon, if he walks by and sees this ring empty, he'll actually get mad at you, saying, why am I setting up this ring? You know, why is this ring empty? You know, you guys should be using this. So we get in the ring. We're working out. And, you know, we're all trying out our stuff. And, you know, I want to see the ring is much bigger than what I'm used to working in. So I climb up to the top rope just to kind of feel what it feels like to be up there. I'm up. There, I'm up there, and just do a little backflip and jump off, land on my feet. Well, unbeknownst to me, a really, really miserable, terrible human being named Batista is watching me do this. Runs and goes and tattles on me. Jamie Noble comes running out, goes, "Which one of y'all is doing moon salts out there?" <laughs> <laughs> technically, I didn't do a moon salt. I did a backflip. Moon salt would have implied I landed on somebody, so I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> And nobody ratted me out, so he's as mad as can be now. All right, well, you know, so they just put us through, you know, some garbage tag team stuff and, you know, whatever. Uh, not really a chance to try next guy, next guy, next guy. Um, one of my friends is at this tryout too, uh, and he's working out with another guy, and the, that guy happened. They basically decide, hey, my friend who's much taller than me, they say, hey, we want to use you on TV tonight. You're going to get beat up by this new guy we got named Seamus you're going to get jobbed out to Seamus tonight. You and you and -and so-and-so are going to get jobbed out. And he's like, oh, great. That's great. So we keep working out and I'm happy for my friend. He's going to be on TV tonight. So far, they haven't told me I'm going to be on TV. Well, it just so happens the guy he's working out with goes to do a move to him and kicks him in the nose by accident, but breaks the nose instantly. The nose is facing this way. He is gushing blood. Uh, essentially that WWE loads him up into an ambulance and takes him to the hospital. Now, they, they pay for all the repair and stuff, the surgeries. But he lost his TV shot right there. <laughs> um <laughs> within 30 seconds of getting a spot on TV. He loses his spot on TV. Uh, I am ultimately not the replacement. So they send me back to a locker room. They say, all right, you guys just wait back here. And they come back and they randomly choose you, you, and you. You're going to be security guards tonight. And I'm assuming because I was a little shorter than the other guys, they didn't choose me. So now I'm just sitting in a locker room by, by myself, essentially. This is a terrible feeling. Yeah. And throughout this whole time, I've actually been talking to my best friend, Max, who's out there under contract in Florida. And he explained the situation to me. He goes, look, man, this is not good. Like, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, listen, I'm out here in Florida with 40 other dudes. I'm sharing an apartment with four guys, essentially. Every day, some ex-NFL or college athlete shows up here getting the royal treatment, and we all move further down the card. He goes, oh. I, one day Dusty will be here telling me how great my dropkick looks. The next day Fit Finley will walk in here tell me how terrible my dropkick is and I should never do it. He goes, there's no co- cohesive training here. Everybody is completely out to stab each other in the back. It is so cutthroat here. It's the most toxic thing you could ever be a part of. Wow. Um, and I'm keeping this in mind. He's there with 40 other guys getting paid under contract. Meantime, I'm at TV with the WWF roster, WWE roster, and there's 10 guys who are on TV who aren't gonna make TV this week, but they flew them in, put them in hotels, got them rental cars anyways, just to be backstage in case. On top of that, there's a dozen guys like me sitting in a closet over here who aren't gonna be on TV tonight but they're giving us $200 paydays to just be backstage in case they need a a popcorn guy to beat up or security guard to throw around somewhere. And it starts kind of occurring to me. If Jamie Noble, who is probably 10 times the wrestler, I am former cruiserweight champion. If the best they got for him is watching the indie guys work out. What are the odds at this point that this is going to be my future career? that I'm ever going to be assigned talented. You know, I can start kind of doing the math. My buddy who is signed is over there. He ain't, he's not moving anywhere. And yeah. the guys that are here who have been on TV before, they're not moving anywhere. Undertaker's on the show, guess what? He's had his spot on TV for 30 plus years. Shawn Michaels, Triple H. you know, these guys, they're there. They've had their spots for 20 plus years. The spots don't open up. And if you start doing the math on it, okay, there's two TV shows. Let's say between the two TV shows, you might have 15 matches. So maybe there's a spot for 20 wrestlers each week, assuming there's no crossover there. On top of that, you got referees, announcers, uh, you know, managers, things like that. Guys are just doing, you know, whatever spots. So you might have 40 TV spots total every week. Maybe, if you're lucky, 40 TV spots. And those spots don't open up. I mean, once somebody has that spot, they don't open up. You got to wait for a guy to get hurt or retired. That's it, you know, or get cut, I guess. Yeah. So uh... I kind of just said to myself, you know what? I'm happy with what I've done. I've wrestled for some big shows. I've wrestled in front of thousands of people. Maybe it's time to start focusing on me as a person, getting my life together, pursuing some other goals and dreams. So pretty much immediately thereafter, I start pursuing starting my own company. My friend Max gets cut by the WWF. He comes back, so I keep wrestling with him. We just start doing a tag team thing just for our own fun. But he and I are working together. We start this company together. Um, and before you know it, within a few years, I'm, I'm making a great living off this company I started. And it really becomes, this is where I need to be spending my Saturday nights, not at an yeah. indie show in front of 25 people. Yeah. And so that's ultimately what led to my retirement in 2000. Well, my last match was 2014. By 2013, I was pretty much done. So there, right there, All you right. can see when I was a backyard wrestler to yes. uh current day, <laughs> similar pose. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny to see something like that. Yeah. Uh, you got to remember, that's probably 1997. Um, so it's not like today where everybody's got a million pictures. You know, you had to go buy a camera and wind it up and then take it to the <laughs> grocery store and get it developed back then. So uh, yes. I had no idea if it was going to be a good picture or not. <sighs> <laughs>
0: That turned out pretty good how about okay so this is your mentor
1: yeah so that's um brent albright uh who i was talking about he was so brent uh backstory on Brent is he was an oklahoma kid just like me um and man he was he was at a different level what i mean by that is this guy he was 100 percent driven by passion he was going to make it in the wrestling business uh i mean everybody says that everybody says they love wrestling and they want to be a wrestler but It didn't matter what the drill was. This guy would outwork everybody in the room. Um, And what I mean is, you know, I'm a young – I was at this time a young kid who wants it as bad as possibly can be. We would do these drills, and eventually I would reach a point where, like, I got to stop, man. I'm I'm about to pass out. Brent would keep going. He would just grab another person and keep doing the same drill for another 15 minutes. Then that person drops dead. He grabs another person. I mean, that's what I say. He's just cut from a a different cloth. You know, Yeah. passion. Uh, so we knew he was going to make it. His only problem was he just didn't have the uh, the, the the chops, the the microphone chops, the the, the charisma yeah. necessarily. He was more of a Benoit-type character, which is yeah. funny because once he finally got signed, the WWE, they, they say, hey, we got to bring you up to the roster. He's an OVW Triple Crown champion, having these great matches. They say, we're bringing you up to the roster. What do you want to do? Well, at the time, he said, look, I consider myself a Benoit-like character. Can you just put me with Benoit? So they debut him on SmackDown. He defeats Booker T in his debut match. Oh wow! Uh, they start having him tag with Benoit. They're gonna, you know, they're they're trying to make him into this big star. Uh, but at that time, you know, things go awry. Benoit's got to get off TV for a while. Uh, they kind of start burying Brent, uh, and then eventually doesn't work out. He gets uh, cut from there. Goes to Ring of Honor. Becomes a big star in Ring of Honor. Um and then eventually the NWA comes calling and they make him NWA world heavyweight champion. Uh, you know, problem is at this point in time he gets injured. And when he gets injured, just like it's kind of the old wrestler story, uh, you start taking those pills to get over it to keep to keep stuff going and it leads you down the wrong path and for his health and safety and, and keeping family together. He had to walk away from the bit. Maybe those guys you could easily mark him down as had he been the right spot at the right time, he would have been Brian Daniels, or, you know, he would have been that guy. Um, It just didn't work out.
0: Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, All right. So, some more pictures of you doing some training. Yeah. So, the
1: first one you see there, that's me in 2002, uh, working at a training school. The one at that time was called Oklahoma Championship Wrestling. Uh, I didn't fancy myself a trainer, I was just kind of uh, a battlefield promotion. at that time, once Brent got signed and left, they needed somebody else to run the training school. And I'd been, you know, even though I'd only been in the business two years, I had been training every night for two straight yeah. years, um, wow. literally five, six nights a week. And so yeah. maybe I would estimate that I got more training in two years than most guys get in their entire career. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, when we're talking about in ring hours, doing drills, learning yeah. the stuff from the guys. Um, so I knew I could run a training class as good as anybody. Uh, yeah. didn't necessarily mean I was going to make you into a star, but I could I could run you through a training class. Yeah. Uh, now you flash forward, that picture on the right is me running the Hunger Dojo. Um, 20 years later, now I that is my passion. Uh, that is what keeps yeah. me in the business. I run a training school every Tuesday and Thursday night. Um, okay. I learned a lot of great things from a lot of great wrestlers, and I consider it part of my responsibility to everything I've learned I need to share it before I can leave the business. Yeah. Uh, it is my responsibility. If somebody gave me knowledge, there's that knowledge will be lost if I don't share it with the, with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I, I impart that onto my students, hey, what I'm sharing with you, I want you to share with someday. I want you to teach these lessons to people. Uh, that's the only way we can keep this business going the right way.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, here we go. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, my, my WWE the, – the happy ending of my WWE stories, I did get on TV. I ended up being an Undertaker druid, which, by the way, <laughs> they essentially put a giant black condom on your face because uh, they want no part of your face showing. Uh, yeah. And then they double it up just to make sure. You cannot see anything. Like I mean, it is yeah. literally like you're seeing shadows. And then they wow. want you to walk down this ramp – it's more narrow than you might think, and you can't see your feet because there's smoke everywhere. You know, they're doing the, yeah. the dry ice thing. Uh, yeah. It was really scary, I'll be honest with you, pulling that casket out because at any point in time, you take half a step to the right or half a step to the left, you're falling off the ramp, and then you forever yeah. become Batmania, the druid that fell off the ramp. <laughs> and you're in the front. Yeah. The front well, guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> I chose to be the front guy because I was like, hey – At least that way I can at least see myself on TV tonight. Uh,
0: There you go. Yeah. Wow.
1: uh, But you know what the most surreal part about that was? I came backstage and I'm standing there and I'm taking this big black condom off my head and I hear a guy chuckle and I turn to my left and it's Vince McMahon. (laughs) And uh, he looks at me and goes, "Eh, thanks for helping us out tonight. I was like, hey, (laughs) thank you for everything. You know, you want to just say so much to him. You know, he's in yeah. the middle of running a TV show, so you're not going to. be right. Like, thank you for my childhood, for this stream for, you know, for all the cool stuff, you know, for letting me be here, you know. But you just go, yeah. hey, no problem, man. Uh, yeah. Backstage, there was only one real nice guy backstage. Only one mm-hmm. guy went out of his way to come up and say hi and thank us and shake our hands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The Undertaker. Everybody I've else is Yeah,
0: I've heard he's such a nice guy. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. He walks up to us during uh, catering and says, What finds our table and says, Thank you guys for helping us out. My name's Mark. Thank you guys. My name's Mark, giving us the old wrestler handshake. Uh, you know, like like we didn't know who this was, you know, but he's yeah, still, right. you know, time to, I mean, he's old school and that's, you know, old school mentality. Yeah. This thing I still teach my guys every time you walk into a locker room, shake everybody's hand, introduce yourself yeah. if you don't know them, say hi. I was like, You never know, because the guy you meet and become friends with tonight, could be your best friend in five years, could be the guy that sets you up with that tryout match in a year because yeah. you were a good guy and walked up and took the time to be nice and be civil and, yeah. and behave as opposed yeah. to being standoffish or just kind of, eh, whatever.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, you mentioned something earlier with uh, Batista. Yeah. Uh, there's your Maximum Entertainment thing. I'll, yeah, that's the company
1: that's, I started right there. All yep.
0: right, cool. All right, I want to talk because you said Batista, and I had the same experience uh, that I'd like to share real quick, and we'll get back to you. In 2000, I want to say six. They are in Syracuse, New York. I was in the army then. I was stationed at Fort Drum. I brought my son to Syracuse before the show. They had a promotion deal at some car dealership there, and Batista was going to be the guy. I'm like, okay, great. So my son, he loves Batista, had a Batista shirt on. And and he said, dad, you know, I want to. So we went and got him a poster at Walmart for like $5. uh, Stowed in line there at this car lot for over an hour. And he comes out, you know, he does his little photos with the dealership people and their families and stuff. Comes out and says, no pictures. I'm not talking to anybody. I just come by. I'll sign whatever, and you got to go. And I was just like, what a jerk. So <laughs> we went through the line, and I i kind of – this was back there in the flip phone era still, but it had a camera on there. And I told my son, I said, Brady, when you get up there, and he starts signing, you just look over at me real quick. I'm going to snap a picture. Just who cares? What are they going to do? Throw us out? So I snapped a picture, and I have just had – that's the only ex- bad experience I've ever had – with a, with a wrestler that that so unprofessional, you're there to for your fans, and that's how you treat them. That's just it was. oh That's when you brought that right. up. memory.
1: You're at a publicity event where his job is to is to help yeah. the company and promote big sales in the, that area. It wasn't yeah. like you hit him up at the airport bathroom, you know, right like while he's trying to wash his hands.
0: Yeah, right. Which I was. Just, was I was just so irritated. I, I just I. So mad, I always want to go to the match, but I was like, you know what? There's other people there, we'll go. We had a good time overall, but every t- when he came out of the ring, we're like, you suck! Yeah, you know? <laughs> me too, <laughs> right? So, let's get back to you, Justin. Uh, we did skip a gap there, so let's talk about 2001 to 13. You probably had quite a few matches, different areas of uh promotions and things. So, where was your primary? uh place that you worked or got the most experience in in sure
1: was like so that. mostly oklahoma uh i mean I'm, okay. I'm based out of oklahoma and there was throughout those years there was lots of wrestling in oklahoma to be a part of i mean i would i would venture out to arkansas and texas and kansas um occasionally uh but mostly i stayed in oklahoma um first company i worked for was opw then ocw uh and there was kansas championship wrestling uh, ocw turned into tornado lucha libre so we were i actually wrestled as a luchador for a while with a mask on All at right. the uh, mexican mall shows. yeah yeah i was i was a uh a technico named el furioso <laughs> uh, awesome. yeah, but we had an actual legitimate lucha teacher and he taught us you know how to convert our styles over and how to do the lucha libre rules and so the idea was that in this area there was a growing hispanic population and the uh, like i said wrestling is very simple so at that time crowds were down all over the place but you had this new population of of hispanic people coming in and if you would offer something for them they would show up in droves uh we wrestled one single de mayo show i remember in front of uh it was the up up to that time the largest crowd i'd ever been in front of it was like two thousand people uh, oh, wow. uh yeah, just packed in a parking lot. Yeah. I mean, just a huge, ma- and again, they were there for a festival, but at the same time, they all hey. came and watched the wrestling and they watched the whole thing. Uh, it, it was, a, it was fun. Uh, around that time, uh, NWA starts a branch, uh, sort of in Oklahoma, NWA, Oklahoma, which would become NWA universal. Eventually I get hooked up with them. And that's where I kind of, first time I really started working with names, uh, Christopher Daniels and, uh, a lot of the guys who were on TNA at the time would, they would bring them in. I uh, did the Candido cup after Candido died. So they would bring in a yeah. lot of names for the Candido cup. I uh, never got to meet Amy, unfortunately. Uh, that was my childhood crush when I was um, yeah. 12, 13, 14. Uh, it, to this day, if Sonny wanted to come, you know, I, I would still mark out for Sonny. Uh, I don't care how cracked out and probably in handcuffs with an ankle monitor yeah. she is. She's still yeah. Sonny to me, you know, there would, yeah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I never got to meet her. She was supposed to be on both those events, and and no showed both of them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a fun time, man. You know, like I said, it was the, sort of the beginning of internet wrestling era. So yeah. you still had to promote wrestling events in a different way. Back then. You know, you still had to hang in the posters, and you know, you couldn't just post something online and people would go to it. Uh, you know, remember, Facebook wasn't even really a thing until 2010. Right. Uh so you know if you're trying to promote wrestling events back in the mid 2000s it was still old school style promoting. You had to go out and shoe leather and maybe if you're lucky you got a radio station or a morning show to help you promote. Uh but mm-hmm. yeah, it was not the way back then.
0: Yeah, you no, you have the internet.
1: Although no, I, to be to be honest with you. Good. Uh, I have a website justinrules.com. Yes. I started the website in 2001. And that website oh, wow. is still up. Yes. Okay. I have one of the oldest websites on the internet. One of the first pro wrestling websites that's still up, justinrules.com. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I I, I I chose that because justinlee.com was already taken.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but that's a cool – Yeah. yeah uh, but, no, just, I ahead. have checked out your website, and it is actually really good. It's really uh, – crisp uh you know uh inviting it doesn't have a bunch of ads popping up all over the place and uh it, it, it tells your story you know your bio your matches your upcoming events it, it, it is a very good website i was quite impressed with it to be honest
1: with you i, I have a complete record of every match i've ever been in on that yeah. website yeah uh i yeah. know my I, I know my singles win loss record is the crazy part you know like um yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I lose a lot. I I luckily I got promoted as a white meat baby face most of my career. Um and you know back through most of the promoters who had that old school mentality, if you got to send the crowd home I'm happy, so I would mm-hmm. often win yeah. my matches. Um you know most of what like I said what we were doing back in the day was a lot of spot shows. Uh yeah. so you didn't have to necessarily build the story up. It would be a one night and done story. So yeah. What would usually happen is early in the night, maybe I'd be the opening match. i get attacked uh, during the match by a much bigger heel. Uh, and then so that's the main event for tonight. You know, come see Justin, get his revenge tonight in the main event. You know, stick around. And so we would do a lot of stories like that. Uh, yeah. So I had, I was very blessed. I won my first match, which was for the Oklahoma light heavyweight title. And okay. very few wrestlers say they won a title in their first match. And I'm not saying it's because I was great or I was this amazing talent. It was literally a, a necessity thing. The, um, every light heavyweight in that promotion had basically turned in their notice saying, oh, oh I, wow. I got a new job up in Kansas. I'm moving. So they basically had three guys left. And of the three guys, I was the most charismatic. And they said, okay, we can, he had the, this is back when I had the long blonde hair and a ponytail and I'd have the earring. And at the time I was playing the cocky backyard wrestling heel, uh, But they looked at me and they said, hey, this kid's got a look. He's got a charisma. We can do something with this. So they put me with this guy, Dexter Hardaway, who's an amazing talent. And he carried me through this match. I held my own as far as, you know, I did my best. I wasn't like I was a complete idiot, but I was green. Uh, So he carries me through this match. We up having a really good debut match. Uh, It worked out great for me. Uh, At the time, the local newspaper comes out and they have a section they were doing on you know, every town would have its own little section of the newspaper. So there was a Broken Arrow section. And they they heard me announced as the Broken Arrow bad boy. So they wanted to do a section on me. So I've been in the, the sport for one match. I've already had a newspaper article come out about me. Um, I'm standing backstage. And the sec, second ever show I'm on, I look to my left. Kurt Hennig is standing next to me. So oh, here wow. I am standing next to Kurt Hennig. Uh, this is back when WWE... He had kind of bought out WCW and Kurt Hennig was one of the holdouts and this promoter named John Collins was going to start the next thing. I think it was called MCW championship rest, something like that. MECW, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crazy story. We don't have time to get into it here, but read the story of John Collins. It's a wild story. Uh, All right. He was, crook and a half I guess uh, but at the time he was doing this promotion where he, he was checking out all these territories around this, the country bringing Kurt Hennig who was going to be his big star he was going to get tv going and he was you know looking for talent uh so he's staying on there backstage so here I am you know winning a title in my first match I'm standing next to Kurt Hennings stage having the the local news is doing stories on me and I've only been in the sport a month you think if you have that kind of trajectory <laughs> Where am I going to be in a year? I'll be main eventing WrestleMania by next year, right? No, it didn't work out. But it felt that way at the time, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Wow. You're chasing this dream, and it's coming true so fast. You just thought, hey, the only where, only place to go is up,
0: right? Yeah. Wow. That's that's pretty cool, though. I mean, you won your first match and a title. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. It's, so it's yeah, I
1: wouldn't recommend it. Uh, you know, it's good to stay humble. <laughs> Pay your dues. Yeah. Uh, I got very lucky. I had a promoter who liked me, who took care of me. But at the same yeah. time, you know, he, he, he. if I had matches with him, he beat me up worse than anybody else. So not that I didn't pay any dues. In fact, we went through some very right. dark times in wrestling. Yeah. Uh, I remember wrestling in front of six people, you know, and I was the only one setting up and tearing down rings by myself, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is not easy to do. Um, and there, were, there was times I would pull kids out of the crowd and say, hey man, if you'll help me get this ring set up, I'll teach you how to wrestle. You know, I, I, will, I will show you moves. And I would I run this outlaw training school because yeah. nobody else would show up to help me get the ring set up. Everybody would show up for match time. Uh, you know, so yeah. there were dark days. I went through, I paid my dues, uh, but it was nice when I got to start doing things like AWA, wrestling in Kane's Ballroom, wrestling in Texas and in Arlington and PCW. Um, there, there was, you know, I remember, so I got a tryout with PCW. An, it was a big promotion in Arlington. It's where Kendrick and London, a lot of those guys were kind of getting there early. Paul London, for sure. I don't know if Kendrick, but Paul London was there. He was one of their big early stars. And I remember they, I had just done something called the Southern Super 8s tournament, that uh, Southern State Super 8 tournament. And I won the thing. I was the tournament winner. It was back when, um, the Super 8 tournaments were all the rage in indie wrestling. You'd make one, people would take trade these things all day. That's how guys like Punk and Daniels were kind of getting discovered on the indie scene was with these Super 8 tournaments. So I won the Super 8 tournament. They hear about me. They want to give me a tryout. This is one of the most valuable lessons I ever learned, though. I go down there. Kenny and I, we're going to wrestle each other. We have this match planned out. Um, and our match is every bit of seven to eight minutes. Well, the guy says, I, I want five. Well, we did our match. We just tried to put it on super speed, but we still end up going about six and a half. We get backstage, and we think we just had a banger match. And the promoter goes, hey, man, I asked you to go five, and you went six and a half. I can't use you. Thanks.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow.
1: Lesson learned, though. If the promoter says five, go four and a half. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's, you know, we thought we were doing such good. Oh, this is such a good match. They'll appreciate that we went over and that wasn't the case, man. Like, especially when those guys are making TV shows, they said, hey, man, you know, I need somebody who can hit their times. That was part of what the trial was, you know, can we use you on a TV scenario? But I learned right then and there to learn what the book wants, understand what the book wants. That was a big lesson I learned that day.
0: Yeah, wow. So, you know, back probably about six, seven years ago, uh, indies really started making a comeback. To me, anyways, I, I went. Yeah, to right some when shows. I got retired. Yeah, when you retired, is that what brought you back in in 2020? It's like, okay, you know what? I miss it. Yeah. I got the bug. What, what What was it for you? It was really
1: more of a COVID thing, honestly. Um, okay. 2020, 20, you know, hits, and um, everybody's stuck at home. So one of the things I did when I stuck at home is I pulled out some of my old wrestling library and started watching it, going. I could still do this, I think. You know, I'm still in pretty good shape. And, you know, you, you, bro, pro wrestlers, we never really have that last match. You know, we always kind of never feel like it's the last match. We always say, well, uh, you know, I'm going to come back at some point. I'm going to do something at some point. Well, at this point, you know, once you start hitting six, seven years, am I ever coming back? I don't know, right? Uh, I, I took time off to start my company yeah. and got comfortable. Uh, but now i was telling old war stories right i would tell everybody how i used to be a wrestler and i didn't really have all that great of footage from my early days in wrestling because we have a, the video equipment and iphones and stuff that people had so it was just a handful of pictures and a few videos that i had and, and i said you know i'd like to come back one time just to, you know have some nice new quality footage of me as a wrestler so i reached out to a guy i knew who's still promoting that i that i'd kind of helped train back in the day i gave him some of his early matches and He's running this company called Wrestling for a Cause, which is the whole company is based on helping kids with cancer, their families, raising money for them. Yes. And you know, if you're going to come back and do something goofy, pretending to to play fight, do it for a good cause at least, right? You know, uh, right. go put on your tights and do it. So I asked him. I said, "Hey, yeah, uh, you know, would you ever want to use me?" He goes, well, ha- hey, how about you come out one night and be a, uh, you can be our guest host for the night." I said, "Hey, you know, that'd be fun." And it gave me kind of some incentive to start kind of working out and getting in shape. So we, we, we'd set this thing up for about three months down the road. So I start, you know, losing that COVID weight, hitting the gym, start kind of getting in shape again and getting my body back. And then before you know it, my body's in really good shape, uh, getting in better shape than even when it was before, because I have nothing to do all day, but work out because um, it's COVID, right? right. So I come do this one shot and it's just supposed to be me like making a match for the, the, the baby face to take on this guy. But then this, this guy I used to wrestle with, he's the big heel. And uh, it didn't, didn't, wasn't hard, but he talks me into, hey, how about you hit me with that super kick you used to hit? I go Well, okay, I guess I could do that. So boom, I throw out the super kick, crowd pops big, and he sells it on the mat, goes, hey, man, they pop big for that. Pick me up, give me another one. okay so wait for him to get back up boom give him another super kick crowd pops even bigger so we get backstage he goes well we got to pay this off what do you mean he goes you got to come back for a match I was like oh okay I'll I'll do it so now I got two months to train for a match you know and I, I haven't wrestled in seven years yeah. and i don't know how to i mean i know how to wrestle but you feel like you don't know how to wrestle anymore once you haven't done it that long mm-hmm. so i i find a training school where some guys are training at i say hey can i jump in with you guys treat me just like i'm a brand new student so i'm going through all the bumps and learning a wrist lock all over again but start coming back real fast to me uh, my brain just unlocks that that thing and boom it just all starts flooding back uh within a few weeks like i i mean i'm i'm I'm, I'm got it. I've got my timing back. I've got my bump building yeah. back. My body's starting to feel good because it hasn't had, had done in seven years. like everything healed up. Uh, yeah. My back healed up, my knees healed up, my elbows healed up. <laughs> yeah. so wow. i I go out and have this match. and it's a great match. I mean, i I'm, I'm, I'm a little sluggish, but yeah. I, it tells a beautiful story. You know the crowd has kind of got this one more time aspect to it. you know, can, can the kid come back and you know, after all this time off, and do it, and the beautiful story, and I come just short of winning the match. I, I had him one, and then his bad guys interfered, and then he pulls, finds a way to win. And he said, "Hey, man, you know you want to, so just come back." I said, "Okay." <laughs> so that was a uh, late 2020, and here we are, 2023, and I'm now. After that match, I've I've gone 20 and 0 in WFC. Uh, I'm the new heel. So I I turned heel. uh, Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing this heel gimmick and I'm teaching my training class and it's just great, man. Like right now I'm actually feuding with the local weatherman on channel, on our, our channel eight, our ABC (laughs) local affiliate. He keeps bringing me on the morning show and I talk all this trash to him and he showed up at the last show and he was the host of the show and, (laughs) <laughs> uh, I found a way to cheat the match and I'm in his face yelling and I turn around and one of the baby faces punches me. So he punches me and I get slammed. So we're setting it up so that we're going to have a payoff coming up down the road. So they're going to keep mentioning me on the morning That's show. Awesome. So it's kind of fun. You know, I get to be sort of a yeah. local big
0: small pond yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. That wrestling for a cause promotion is, uh, you know, Tim Rockwell, such a, um, uh, such a great promotion, does it for such a great cause. And I love Tim Rockwell because, you know, I had him on here a while back and he's, uh, that's incredible. You know, he tells me the story and that, you know, he's got to be a nice guy in Oklahoma. And then he's the villain, natural born villain in uh, Arkansas, Missouri. And it's, it's great. I just love it. And I, and I love that promotion. Go Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was
1: just well, saying. I say, Tim, um, when I was uh, in coming up in the sport, when I was brand new, two thousand two, two thousand three, I'm still green as can be. Tim's uncle, Uncle Raymond, owned um, World Wrestling Empire, which was the big Tulsa-based promotion from the late '80s throughout the to the mid '90s. And Flame and Raymond, he ran World Wrestling Empire wwe before there was a wwe yeah uh but so when he would stick around the business a little bit so he was running a production company so so when i was working ocw in 2002 they would hire raymond company to come out and film the wrestling because everybody knew wrestling and he had this little tiny annoying kid that would walk around and hold the cord named tim uh who would within (laughs) years become this wrestler uh and tim and i I, I like to take a little bit of credit for helping shape Tim. I didn't train Tim, but when Tim was a green rookie, uh, just like I was, he had some annoying qualities to him—a little cocky, a little arrogant. He was part of the 918 Boys, and they were a couple of rappers. And he was record- and Tim actually can rap, uh, by the way, but just the sound of it is so obnoxious. Oh, I'm a I'm a rapper, right? You know, you just you hear that, you I, I instantly want to punch the guy in the face, right? uh it's saying he comes so ends up in tpw um, tornado pro wrestling where i'm wrestling at and he still only had a handful of matches at this point rock says hey would you come out work this kid tim uh yeah i'd love to man so tim had a good attitude he's a great guy backstage so i started working with him and and you know he's been around the business since he's a little kid uh mm-hmm. he has a good sense of things he's still green but he's got a good sense of things so we have a good little match. Uh, it's like a three-way dance, and and he does his job, and he sells. And he's got great facials, and he's playing a good heel character. And Rocco pulls me backstage, and goes, "Hey, what you think of I said, He's pretty good. He goes, "Why don't you make a program out of it? Um, how about next week you put the kid over, you know, and and build a program around it? You know, he, he'll cheat to win, and now you got a reason to come back." And so we do that. We go out, and I, I put him over, uh, and it, it makes him into a, a thing there. Uh, we we end up having this beautiful feud. Uh, it culminates in the first ever Broken Arrow street fight, uh, and and ever since then Tim's my guy. Um, you yeah. talk about your favorite. guy to work. with, It's Tim. And I, since he was a kid, I've been working with him, and here yeah. we were twenty years later having this comeback match. He he carries me through this match because he knows I'm, I'm I'm a step I'm still missing a step, and he he covers all my shortcomings up helps me look like a star, sells when I need him to sell so I can catch my breath. Uh, I mean, just, I love working Tim and I'll always work yeah. for Tim. Uh, I have Tim's back. I, You know, every promotion I work for, if Tim's not in good standing with or you got a problem with Tim, you got a problem with me. I tell him that.
0: Yeah. All right. I got one more question. Well, a couple more questions. One is sure. the, the unbreakable bad boy. How did that come about?
1: So when I first came back, I was doing the baby face gimmick, you know, very white meat baby face. I play a great white meat baby face. Um, I know how to smile and, you know, slap the hands and I can take a beating like no other. So I get beat up and beat up, beat up till they're ready to see me make that comeback. And I'm very comfortable in that role. Um, But, you know, every promoter kind of looks around his roster one day. Okay, we've been doing the same thing for about a dozen shows now. I need... To switch it up i need some heels to be faces and faces to be heels, so we can redo these matches now uh and tim remembered me from my heel days when i early in the business and he always liked me as a heel and he said hey can you bring back that justin lee and be that obnoxious cocky heel and i hadn't done it in a long time uh yeah. i've gotten very comfortable in that baby face role so at first i i was a little nervous about doing it at first honestly uh I just I, I hadn't been that guy, and 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 I liked being a good guy. I liked yeah. being able, you know, it's hard for me not to go hug my fans and shake their hands and, you know, sign everything for the kids. I I I want to be that guy. Yeah. So, Tim talks me into it. Um, so we we my idea was not to be just the flamboyant heel, the pretty boy heel. My idea was more about I'm this old school guy, and I hate what I'm seeing. I hate the AEW. I hate the spot monkeys. I hate the guys that aren't telling stories. They're just chasing, having this banger match. They're supposed to be bad guys, but they're out there selling merchandise like they're a good guy. They're trying to be the cool tweeners. I fed on that kind of idea. I said, well, what if I became a heel because I needed to be the gatekeeper that wrestling apparently didn't have anymore that all these guys who were top stars now, they failed because I taught them how to do it old school. We had this old school tradition, and you guys just let anybody into the business now. You weren't doing a job of protecting the business, and now I've got to come back. I've got to tear this thing down to start back over again. Nobody's allowed in my locker room unless I give you the clearance. you got to earn your spot with me, kid. And so that was my idea, you know, being this yeah. this almost um, like sensei, you know, of of my karate is the only true karate right like like my wrestling is the only true wrestling now it's not that i did some of these opinions i actually did have but i'm not a mean guy you know i understand there's something for everybody on every show and just because some people don't differently than me doesn't mean it's wrong Mm -hmm. uh i have my preferences you have your preferences uh but the character was over the top just have to save wrestling I don't care if it makes me mean and bad guy in the short term I'm doing what I'm doing for the greater good I'm going to save professional wrestling here in this state um <laughs> and so that's where the unbreakable came I, I didn't want to be the broken arrow bad boy anymore yeah. and I was like well what's the opposite of broken it's unbreakable right this unbreakable yeah. character yeah so I started working with the idea of being unbreakable and sure enough while I'm setting this idea up and, and building the seeds for the future heel turn, I get my nose broken in a match.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> 20 years,
1: never broke anything in wrestling. 20 years later, I get my nose broken live during a match, uh, which is ironic because I'm wearing a shirt that says unbreakable. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm in Arkansas wrestling for Crown Championship Wrestling. We're having a, uh, a tournament crown. Na- it's actually a national title. It's uh, the, the American Pro Wrestling. It's their title, our traditional American Pro Wrestling, I should say. Uh, but they, it's defended in many states. Um, but they wanted to make me the first light heavyweight champion. So it's this, this tournament. And I'm only supposed to wrestle one match this night. But there were some no-shows. And so what they do is they change the brackets up and say, we're going to have the, the opening round and semi-round tonight. So my first round round match is with this guy named X-Cal, uh, who I have all this history with. He actually used to be one of the backyard wrestlers with me when we were kids.
0: <laughs>
1: but we never had a one-on-one match. Yeah. And we got to have it finally 20 years later. And we have this great match. It's a great match. Probably my best match I wrestled that year. Second match, I come out wrestling this guy named Iceman. And we're kind of we've never worked with each other, never really watched yeah. each other wrestle. And we're kind of putting it together on the fly. We're both vets. So we, we know what to do. I'm the baby. You're the heel. Let's just go. Out. I said, hey, just jump me before the match starts. Beat me down. I'll make a little comeback. Uh, and then we'll do this. We'll do this. And we'll go home. Well, one of the spots I called for during my comeback was, I'm going to go for a moonsault while you're standing. So I'm jumping kind of into you body press style. But what I want you to do is instead slide underneath me. And as I land, me with the clothesline and it cut me off and go back to putting the heat on me. So I go for the moonsault and I could tell he's, he's kind of trying to decide how am I gonna, am I gonna go under him or am I gonna go around him? And as I go to jump, he hasn't quite made up his mind. So he kind of sort of ducks Uh. and sort of moves to the side. And as he does, he's got this bald head and my nose just lands crap on top of his skull, instantly broken. I knew it from the exact moment because I heard the crack go through my entire head. Never broke anything before till this moment, yeah. and I, I cover my nose, and this is kind of my old school training. If you're gushing blood, get out of the ring. So go home, no matter where you are in the match. So I lean over to the ref and say, "We got to go home. I'm this nose is broken, and what I don't want is one of these kids and family sitting ringside." to have their kid traumatized by a bloody nose that i'm assuming at this point is facing the wrong direction um so i say we got to go home go home go home come at me i'm gonna hit you something real quick so i hit him with a little neck breaker pin him real quick and i'm covering my nose and waving to the crowd uh you know a lot of fans are kind of confused like well that came out of nowhere um but it was literally starting to just gush out of my nose and i didn't want to traumatize a five-year-old and make some parent go i'm never bringing my kid back to that you know yeah. So I get backstage yeah. and instantly everybody's looking at me going, Oh my God, you know, you're, and <laughs> uh, I ended up putting a bunch of toilet paper up my nose, driving myself to the emergency room. Uh, now the crazy thing is I was wearing this face paint that night and I, I had like a, my, a, my costume, my, my singlet was an homage to Robin, like from Batman and Robin.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've got this green face paint that looks like his eye mask.
0: Yeah.
1: And, the movie, the Batman movie had just come out that year, like a few weeks earlier. And so here I am walking into an Arkansas hospital emergency room, <laughs> dressed like Robin, face paint, bloke nose, blood everywhere. And I said, you know what they're going to think is that I saw this Batman movie, dressed up like Robin, decided to go fight crime tonight, got my butt kicked by some thugs, right? And that's what it looked like. And I, I went with that story. That's what I told the the ER nurse. I was like, yeah, I was fighting
0: crime. You know,
1: it happened. Uh but yeah, so that's kind of the, the evolution of unbreakable. Uh and so unbreakable is now kind of my heel persona. And yeah. you know, if I ever go back to being a good guy again, I'll go back to being the broken arrow bad boy.
0: Yeah. I gotta tell you, um you look uh great. I watched some of your videos on YouTube. I've seen, you know your you. promo photos. You look fantastic, you're great on the mic, you just have that. That sarcastic – because you're the unbreakable bad boy. You have that sarcastic uh, voice. You just have that look, too, like I'm better than you. I know I am. And it's great. I heard it I described
1: it. as – I was told from the beginning. Uh, it's, it's an old Michael PSA's quote. Man, with a punch-me-face like that, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. I've got a punch-me-face.
0: You do. It's That's a good thing. I mean, you – I will say, in the last five six years, especially indie indie wrestling has really arched up in such a great way. I'm wrestling for a cause, Mid States, New Breed, all the all these promotions, uh, Tulsa. I, I, it's just incredible. I'm so glad that that stigma of oh, you're an indie wrestler, you must you must not be able to be good enough to reach the wwe though and i'll be honest with you right now in my opinion i think indie wrestling is as good or even a little bit better than the aew and wwe one is because you're not out there for 20 minutes on the ring talking about things that don't matter you talk for about two minutes you go to the ring or whatever two is i'm not paying 150 for a ticket go see some guys or i can only pay you know 15 to 20 maybe 25 and i'm not paying out the yin yang for food so kudos to you guys uh you know we appreciate you and you're underappreciated i'm going to tell you that right now
1: one of the unique dynamics of um indie wrestling that i explain to my students when i train them is that it's kind of like going and seeing live theater versus watching a movie um we're not there to to work the camera we're there to work the crowd. And um and this is kind of one of my complaints with, with AEW and stuff like that is they're always what I call chasing the banger. You know, they always want to have this five-star match that gets this critical review. And it, in the process, it is so choreographed that the fans know they are not affecting what is happening in the ring. Yeah. That you know, their cheers, their whatever. There's very little crowd interaction going on yeah. versus old school professional wrestling, you know, if I can look at the old lady in the crowd and pick the baby face up by his hair and say, I'm going to punch him every time you talk. Boom. You shut your mouth. Okay, that's on you. That's on you, right? And you make them part of the show, and they know they're affecting the show. And when you do that, it becomes that interactive, immersive experience that TV can't provide. Only a live wrestling show can provide that. And one of the things I fear is that we might lose that as that you know chasing the banger becomes the way and you start losing this no no no. i'm here to work this guy you know if i want to make this person feel like they're part of the show like they are impacting the show uh one of the like my last match it ends with me getting you know body slammed but and punched by the the ring the newscaster the meteorologist and 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 the other baby face and so my guys are carrying me out of the ring and i'm all woozy well i made a point to as i'm almost pretending to be concussioned or whatever here. I reached over to some old lady, like she was my wife. And I said, honey, go start the car. And I'm like <laughs> trying to take the key. In the hand. And you could tell she was just like, so caught off guard by it. But she's gonna go home and tell everybody that story, right? She's never gonna yeah. forget that. And yeah. so I've made that lasting impression in her mind of, yeah. of, you know, she was part of the event. She wasn't just watching an event, it was immersive. Um, yeah. And that's why I think one of the reasons indie wrestling can always succeed, even if we don't have the bodies and the things that that the the, the production, even that the WWE has, um, as long as you're making it interactive, as long as you're making it about yeah. the crowd, as long as we're telling stories and, you know, yeah. you have to make them easy to understand stories. Some of these guys try to tell things that are too complicated, right? Well, I'm, I'm a good guy, but I wrestle like a bad guy because you see this thing happened and then this happened. I was like, look, of the people who are at this show, even if they were at the last show, they don't remember what happened at the last show. They're not going to remember this convoluted storyline that you think they know, that you know, but they don't know. And unless we show a five-minute video package before every match that catches you up previously on Wrestling for a Cause, right, you have to assume that this is the first time they've ever seen you this is the first yeah. time they're going to experience you. They don't know any of this backstory. So the second you come from that curtain, your face, your body, your posture, you has to tell them that story, has to fill in those gaps. I have yeah. to look and sound like some guy they probably have met in their life and hated and had a bad experience with the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I carry myself so that yeah. they can instantly relate without knowing the backstory.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. But I'm telling you, Guys like yourself, Rockwell, uh, Jason Jones, all these guys, uh, the, the Johnnies. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out, but you guys are just – it's a comeback. And I'm so grateful for it because you're right. Ten years ago, you might have had 20 people in a, a at a house show. Where now, and I've been to some recent events, it's usually a packed house. Here, I live in Springfield, yeah. Missouri. Every time I go to one here, it's packed. It's it's full house. I buy a ticket early now online because I'm afraid I'm not going to get in. That's how that's how much it has progressed and, and evolved in the last five, six years. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And it's guys like you that bust your tail every day. And you know, I, I just want to say thank you to you for that. And one more question. Sure. One more. What are you up to next? What's some events that are coming up for you? Uh, we can put it out there so fans can come out and see you. Sure.
1: So um, I fa- I work fairly exclusively right now with Tim at Wrestling for a Cause. Um, and I know we've got May 6th uh, fan data coming up. And that's where the fans kind of help pick the matches. And in June, during Father's Day weekend, I believe we have a Saturday and Sunday or uh, I think it's Saturday and Sunday, or it could be Friday and Saturday. Um, it's two nights, 17th and 18th, okay. I think. Uh, okay. where we're gonna do back to back the Ryder Herring Memorial Cup and then the uh the Battle Royal Freedom Rings Battle Royal. Uh okay. and then before that, though, in June, I actually do have another booking in Illinois. Uh, every year, I go out there with um, for the Superman celebration. Uh, okay. USA Championship Wrestling. Now it's run by Casey. It used to be run by Burt Prentice, and then he passed away. Casey Gold took over USA Championship Wrestling. That's kind of the one Jerry Lawler works with in Tennessee. Uh, yeah. It's kind of his. His. Not, it's not his company, but he kind of start the company. Well, Casey Gold runs it now. Now they just call it Tennessee Championship Wrestling. But they still uh, where the Superman celebration is is kind of where. Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois, uh, and Missouri okay. kind of all meet right there. It's yeah. this little town called Metropolis, Illinois. Uh, so I'll be out there ah. for at least two days uh, okay. wrestling every night. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be come back. And then I know in August it's the big one for WFC. And I know who my opponent's going to be. I can't tell you. Um, can but it is two. somebody – Somebody who, uh, this way, you will know who he is. He has right. held titles in the WWE. Uh, he is right. a very well-known wrestler. Um, and that's all I can say. Okay. Uh, but it, it will be a big one in August. It'll be first time I've wrestled a – well, I take that back. I wrestled uh, Mike Rapata last year, uh, Colorado kid, Mike Rapata. Um, I – He was a big name, put it this way, at one point. In the early 2000s, he was a big name on the indie circuit. Him, Reckless Youth, some guys like that were big names in the indie circuit. Uh, I wrestled him last year, so he's probably the last big name I wrestled. But the the next – well, I I say that. To me, Alex Royal, guys like that, they are big names to me. I like those guys. Uh, I think they're they're tremendous talents. Uh, But if you're talking about well-known outside of Oklahoma wrestling – uh yeah this person i'll be wrestling in august if all goes well of course you know card always subject to change uh it'll be change, a, it'll yeah. be a lot of fun so that's that's a yeah. big one leading up to the summer and then i promise you i'm gonna make it to mid-states um uh, i JJ want to see you there. Always, yeah <laughs> he is always offering me gigs and they're always conflicting dates and i he I'm, yeah. i keep telling him, man you offer me one day you're gonna offer me a date that i don't already have booked that isn't like yeah my wedding or honeymoon or, you know, somewhere it's like, Hey, I can't cancel this. Sorry. Uh, Like I said, I own a business outside of wrestling uh, that occupies a lot of my time. Uh, So there are some weekends I just can't wrestle. Like right now is my busy season for my DJ business. We're doing all the proms and then, you know, that kind of leads into the spring weddings that that we do. So right now uh, to get a Saturday night off is very hard. Yeah. Um, but when I get into summertime, I get a little more leeway, a little more free time. So I'm going to try to get as much wrestling in this summer as I can. You know, I'm, I'm 40, about to be 41. I don't know you how don't much time at- I got left. Well, thank you. you I appreciate that. At- I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I tell these guys I'm training. I was like, you guys are my legacy. You know, if, all the guys I'm training, um, they're all over Oklahoma wrestling now. You know, I, I trained Cappuccino yeah. Jones and, and Dan Weber, and, and you know, just all these guys that are yeah. that you're seeing all over the place now. Um, my goal is to leave the wrestling industry better than I found it because I'm going to train these guys the right way, with good attitudes, and you know they're going to know and respect the business and the history of the business. And if I can do that, I'll keep doing that as long as I can. I'll, I'll keep wrestling till my body can't anymore. You know, when it reaches the point where it becomes a physical detriment to me to keep wrestling, yeah. then I'll have to stop. Um, but yeah. at this point, I feel healthy. I feel good at forty. You know, there are days yeah. I wake up with a pretty sore back um, and I know yeah. exactly what it's from. <laughs> Getting to wrestle like a heel helps a little bit. I'm not that white meat baby face taking 15 minutes of, of bumps. You know, I, yeah. I can be the heel who, you know, does the bumping and then just has to take three quick ones at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as long as I can do that, I can, it's going to add time to my career for sure. Yeah, well,
0: that's great. No, um, yeah, well, one more time. Let's talk trainer wrestler dj that's great the unbreakable bad boy justin lee thank you for coming on today sir we really appreciate it no problem check me out on JustinRules.com,
1: the oldest wrestling website on the internet i think yeah. in indie wrestling anyways um check me out on there if, if you guys uh, got links to all my social my instagram mm-hmm. my tiktoks and all- all the other things you kids like to look at. Um, And then you've mentioned my YouTube channel, YouTube, uh, Broken Arrow, Bad Boy. Um, You can see matches dating all the way back to even before. I have a couple of my backyard wrestling highlights on there from the 90s. So you talk about a a very complete library of wrestling on there. Um, You can see me wrestling throughout many years and many different looks and many different variations of Justin Lee. Uh, So, again, if if you're interested in jumping down that rabbit hole, it can be kind of fun. Um, But I appreciate, like I said, everybody that uh, opportunities like this to come talk and share my story, uh, leave leave a little piece of me out there in the zeitgeist of professional wrestling. Hey, man, I appreciate this.
0: We appreciate you. And uh, all those links, Justin just said, uh, will be in the description at the bottom uh, when this drops. So one more time, the Unbreakable Bad Boy, Justin Lee, thank you for coming on, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. And folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so, and we will talk to you soon.